seems like these have fallen out of favor, but I'm going to pop a word on the screen, and I want you to remember the first thing that pops in your mind, okay? And we're actually going to sort of vote for this, so it's real important to participate, okay? So, uh, when you see the word rules, or hear somebody say it, what came into your mind? Now, here's what I want to ask with that. Whatever came into your mind, uh, a picture, some other words, a concept, whatever it was, for how many of you would you describe that as something positive? How many would describe it as something negative? Wow, a closer vote than I would have thought. In general, we are living in a day when rules are seen as negative. It is a mark of postmodernism that people resent rules, people resent being told by someone else what they can do or not do. Uh, Truth has become relative. We each want to set our own boundaries. We want to determine what's true for me and what's true for you can be different. That's your business. Leave me alone. And yet, even as that becomes popular, there is another part of us that knows, in reality, we need rules, even though we may see them negatively. I was thinking about that this week. Everything we do involves rules, and we really do want them there. We went and watched football this week. Well, we really do want some rules. Without rules, that football game would become chaos and some people might die or at least be carted off in great pain. Those rules are there for a reason and they make sports work. And it's not just sports, it's business. We may resent some rules around our businesses, but the truth is a lot of those rules protect us. And protect those who consume from us. And we need those rules. The universe itself exists with rules. We call them the laws of physics. But if you postulate a universe without those laws of physics, that universe couldn't exist. We need rules. Technology needs rules. Those of you who get technology understand those rules very clearly. And every time you have to deal with some idiot who doesn't get them, you just shake your head and say, you can't do it that way. Of course your computer's not working. You didn't do this. We need rules. The interesting thing is that's even true in relationships. Relationships need rules, boundaries, expectations. Without those, it's pretty much impossible to have relationships. And that's what we want to look at today. Because in chapter 5 of the story, and we're reading along through the Bible using the story, um, a chronological Bible, putting it into a a novel form, in chapter 5 we really understand God's expectations for relationship. Now, we're going to do, I need to do a little bit of review and ask you a question. In some of the previous chapters, we saw that God chose one nation to be his particular nation. The founder of that nation was Abraham. Why did God do that? This was in the sermon, okay? 
And I know. I'll just go ahead and talk, okay? I won't wait for an answer. My self-esteem couldn't handle it. No. One of the things I talked about in the sermon is that God created one nation as his people, not because he didn't care about all the other nations, but because he wanted to have a, a, a prototype to show the rest of the world, this is what happens if, you're, if God is your God. If you follow God, if you, as we've been singing, if you walk in his ways, you will have a better life. And he wanted to use Israel to show that to the whole world. Well, one of the reasons God did that is because he cares. He made people for relationship. He is that relational God. Numerous times in chapter 5, we see this phrase again and again, where God says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. As Christians living in the New Testament time, we read it the same concept. We read it a little differently. For God so loved the world, in John 3.16. God is a loving God who wants a relationship with his people. But relationships are built not just on attraction, not just on feelings. If we're going to move beyond feelings and emotions into a long-term relationship, counselors have helped us understand that relationships are built on expectations, mutual expectations, Almost a contract, although it's unwritten. I will be this person. I will be here for you. I will treat you in this way. You're going to be this person, and you're going to treat me in this way. And over time, we work out those expectations. And they become this unwritten contract that is the foundation of the relationship. If that contract is broken, that relationship may dissolve. But it sits on those expectations. Well, in chapter 5 of the story, God really lays out his expectations. How to have a relationship with him, this spiritual God of the universe, but who wants to know us and wants us to know him and have a relationship with him. Well, what will that look like? What is a relationship between us physical humans here and this God of the universe? What is that going to look like? What would he expect from us? What can we expect from him? Because that relationship carries mutual expectations. And right at the beginning of chapter chapter 5 in Exodus 19, that's sort of laid out for us. If you want to turn over there, Israel has just left Egypt. They've escaped the the plagues, the dividing of the Red Sea. And they're now over here in the Sinai Peninsula. And they're just starting out to form their own nation with God. This people of God. And what in the world will that look like? And God makes a promise to Israel through Moses. But in that, I want you to see the expectations that go both ways. And the relationship that will result out of that, out of those expectations. Exodus 19, 4 through 6. God is speaking. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. And how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. 
now. Expectations. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, results, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are speak to, to speak to the Israelites. Do you see God's offer of relationship? If you will do this, God says, you can have expectations of me, then I will do this, and this is the good stuff that will come out of that relationship. But that's the foundation. What we can expect from God, and then what God expects from us. And he tells Israel, He's up front, he says, here's what's important to me. If you want a relationship with me, these are the priorities for me. And he lays them out in four commandments. We're going to read the whole ten, but I want to look at the first four because the the ten commandments are divided into four and six. The first four are expectations of how we as humans will have a relationship with God, how we will treat him. The last six are how we're going to treat each other. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But first, let's read the first four. The kids sang them. In case you missed it, we'll review. Okay. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. God says, I'm going to be your God. I'm not going to share you. I'm going to be your God. Verse 4, the second commandment, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now let's stop there for just a second. The first one, verse 3, was obvious. Either I'm God or I'm not. And if we're going to be in relationship, since I am God, I need you to accept the fact that I'm God and not pick any other gods. Verse verse 4, which is the second commandment, is we have this human, and we talked about this in Sunday school, we like to be in control. And one of the great ways to be in control is make your own God. And in the ancient world, that was real common. You'd make an idol, and you'd take a log or a lump of metal or a rock, and you'd carve on it, and you'd make it look like a fish or a bird or a combination of those animals. And that's what Israel had grown up with in Egypt. You tour Egypt today, and you see all these idols that represented their gods. But you see, it's something else in that. I made it. And I got it right here. And bottom line, subconsciously at least, I'm in control. And God says, I don't want you to lie to yourself. Because if you're lying to yourself, you made this God out of a log. It struck me this week, and God's sitting there saying, who do you think made that log? Who do you think made that gold they dug out of the hill and you formed into a golden calf? I did, not that calf. I'm God. And if you're going to lie to yourself and delude yourself and think you can bring God down to your size, that won't work. Don't make idols, because only I am God, and I'm too big to be reduced to a carved log or a lump of metal. Verse 7 is the third one. 
You shall not misuse the, Lord, the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. We've learned the power of words. We talk about emotional abuse. It's hard to have a relationship with someone if they're always talking you down, isn't it? Those words are perhaps the most hurtful. If the one you love is talking you down. I I grew up in a rural farm community in Illinois, and I think back to how some of those old farmers referred to their wives with words that I can't even repeat here. Now, they didn't do that when the wives were around. But you always walked away from that thinking, wow, some marriage. But I thought, you know what? God hears everything we say. And he says, if you're using my name in vain, if I've become a swear word to you, then how do we have a relationship? How do you think I feel when you're using my name as a swear word? It hurts me. It hurts our relationship pretty reasonable expectation I think we would all have of anybody we have a relationship with. And number eight is the fourth commandment that has to do with God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work. Now, he goes on and and lays out some more details there, but I want you to capture the big picture, the Sabbath, because I think sometimes we've missed it. And I think what God is saying, if you read between the lines, is he's saying, I know you humans, you're made like me, it's going to be easy for you to get real busy, and you're going to be so busy you never stop. And he says in there, even I stopped after six days. So guess what? I want you to stop after six days of work. You need it. And if you don't stop, how will you and I ever reconnect, God says. So part of the stopping is not just a day to not work and take a break and a holiday. Part of that rest is also a day to reconnect with this God we have a relationship with. And that's why he wants it. See, we've, part of what I hope you will carry out of here today is we've seen the Ten Commandments as a bunch of rules that are checkboxes to avoid hell and get into heaven. And that is a misreading of their intent. They are the basis of a relationship. And that is what God has wanted from the beginning, that you will be my people and I will be your God. And this fourth commandment about the Sabbath is so that we slow down and reconnect with God. Because any relationship needs that. If we are so busy, we never talk. You hear that in homes where couples are ships passing in the night. We have different work hours. We're coming and going, traveling, whatever. What suffers? Our relationship suffers. And we have to find time to reconnect. And that's exactly what God is saying in the fourth commandment. I need you to stop all you're doing and rest and reconnect with me. So that this relationship we have can be healthy and growing.
when, to me, when you look at these first four commandments in the context of relationship, they all make sense. They're all reasonable. They're exactly what I would ask of anybody backwards if I wanted to have a relationship. And they're what God asks of us. But God is not the only one with expectations. People have expectations, too, for relationships. And God was saying, I am calling you, Israel, to be a special nation, to be a blessed nation, to model to the rest of the world what it's like to be the people of God. But you see, if they're going to be a model nation, it can't just be a model in that vertical relationship between me and God. If we're a model people, it really should also be a model of these horizontal relationships between each other. Israel would need to be a nation where people got along and there was harmony and love and happiness and joy and good things were happening in the villages and the homes. And so the second set of rules that God gives them are guidelines for relating to each other so that in their villages and their homes they could experience what it's like when people get along and enjoy each other and are happy to be living in the same village and look forward to getting together instead of hating each other and hurting each other and avoiding each other. And so God says, let me give you the expectations you need to have for each other so that you can experience a good life lived with other people in community. And so we find those six commandments, starting with verse 12 of Exodus 20. The first one is, honor your father and your mother. So you may live long in the land your God is giving you. The truth is, the family is the foundation of any society. Parents raising kids, kids getting along with parents, kids listening and learning from parents. Whether they're perfect or not, but learning from them. And listening to them. And that's the first commandment. Because everything else that's going to come. And we see that today. We're much more transparent about that today. People who have grown up in a broken, painful childhood. Struggle the rest of their life with some of those issues. The home is the foundation. And so the first commandment God lays out is. You need a home where the kids are listening to the parents. And there is a healthy family unit there functioning as it should. The older teaching the younger how to be a human, how to be a man, how to be a woman, how to be a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a worker, a friend. And they're learning from each other. Verse 13 is the second one, you shall not murder. You need to value each other. You need to put control around your anger. Those people around you have value and you need to see them as having value and don't kill them. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. A part of that home foundation is marriage and that sacredness of marriage. And God knowing I have designed marriage so that you and another will be wedded together for life and you will be these complementary companions. And that relationship is so foundational for everything we become. And if you cheat and break that relationship, everything crumbles. 
And so of all the things God could have listed because of the importance of marriage, one of his commandments is don't break that relationship. Don't commit adultery. Verse 15, you shall not steal. This goes beyond the home. This goes now into the village where we live with other people around us and respecting them and what they have and treating them as we would want to be treated. Tied with that is 16, thou shalt not give false testimony. Tell the truth. Don't lie. All relationships hinge on that. What else is built on that? Trust. I have to know you speak the truth. I can trust you. And if we can't trust each other and we lie, everything starts to break down. Our homes, our villages, our relationships, our businesses, everything. And God knew that. You've got to tell the truth to each other. And the last one, don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or his servants or his animals or his cars or whatever else he's got. There's a peace there in coveting. What coveting is is saying, I want what you've got. And in a healthy relationship, I can rejoice when you have something nice. I may say, I'd like one of those too, and I'm going to work hard to get it, but I'm not going to take yours. And that's what this verse is about. It's rejoicing when someone else has good news, good things happen to them. I'm happy for you. Now I'm going to work hard so that happens to me. I'm not going to step on you to take it from you. If you look at those six rules, to me, they really are pretty basic. Yeah, that would form a healthy community, healthy homes, healthy families, where we want to be around each other and we're happy to be together. And that's what God wanted Israel to experience. And so he lays out those expectations, both for God, the first four commandments, and for each other. But God is not done building a relationship. And that's what I want you to see. He lays out two more things. Relationships require more than just these expectations. They also require presence where we are together. We spend time together. I mentioned that earlier. And in Exodus, what God lays out is how he can be present with the people. First of all, in, in chapter 25, he says, then have them make, make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. It's that tabernacle Kim was talking about before she prayed for the offering, that tent, an ornate, portable temple where you could go and meet with God. But the message of that from God is that I will be present right there with you. I won't be far away. I will be right there with you. How important is God's presence? Well, that's the other section that's up here. It's, to me, a very powerful statement Moses makes back to Israel. Now, a little context. If you didn't read the story this week, they've had the problem with God and the golden calf, and God has been angry at Israel because they turned right around and made an idol. He wanted to wipe them out. says, Moses says, don't. God says, okay, I won't. But Moses is afraid. How mad is God still at us? He's saying leave and go towards the promised land. But is he really still mad? Is he even going to come with us? And this is what Moses says. Verse uh, 33, 14. 
The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I'll get you to the promised land. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us away from here without you. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth if we don't have you here with us? Moses understood how important it was that God would be right here with us. And God laid out that tabernacle so that they could have this relationship and God could be with them. There's one other thing that they needed for a relationship. And that was forgiveness. Because you see, the truth is we're not going to do it all right all the time. And that's true in any of our human relationships. We can have the most wonderful spouse in the world. We can be the most wonderful spouse in the world, but we're going to blow it. Sooner or later, guaranteed. Forget the birthday, not show up. You name it, we've done it. Now, is the relationship over? Well, it all depends. Is there forgiveness or not? No relationship can exist with us humans who are imperfect without forgiveness. And so that's the third thing that God lays out in the story in chapter 5. He lays out his expectations. He shows how he will be present with us And he shows us a way to find forgiveness. Now in the story, they so go over it pretty quickly because it's the book of Leviticus. And it is a boatload all about sacrifices and what you can do when you've done what wrong. And here's how you find forgiveness. But bottom line, what God is laying out is saying, I know you won't be perfect. We can still be in relationship. Because I will lay out ways you can come And find forgiveness. And the relationship can be restored. And we will go on in relationship. We need that. Well, the good news and why we're looking at the story is some things never change. God has not changed. We humans have not changed in so many ways. God's expectations haven't changed. Those things that we call the Ten Commandments, he still expects those things. And those things still work between us. In many ways, Jesus took those commandments, all ten of them, and he summarized them into two in Matthew 22. You're familiar with it. Jesus was being tested, but his answer has become some of the most powerful scripture. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. It's commandments one through four. Then he continues, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets can be summarized in these two commandments. Six through ten, love your neighbor as yourself. And you're covered. It hasn't changed. What God laid out for Moses on Mount Sinai hasn't changed. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You're not going to worry about taking his name in vain. You're not going to worry about carving some tree and making your own God. 
you're loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbors yourself. I'm not going to commit adultery on my wife. I'm not going to steal from my neighbor. I'm not going to take his new car. I'm not going to lie to him. Because I love my neighbor. That hasn't changed. And our need for God's presence, it hasn't changed. I was, I was convicted in the prayer seminar two weeks ago. You heard me pray to start the worship service. But they were talking in that seminar, we serve a living God. He's here with us today, right now. He's not something out of ancient history like George Washington who's gone. He is alive and here today. And we need to help people see that when they walk in this room and understand that reality and talk to him. Talk to him through the service because he's here. He wants to be present with us. And we have some good news that Israel only dreamed about. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You see, this is the good news. When we come together, God is here. But he also lives in us so that when we leave, he doesn't stay here. In the tabernacle, if you wanted God, you had to go, you had to, go to the center of the, of the camp and go into the tent. And sometimes we think of church that way, don't we? He's here. He is here. But he's leaving in about 15 minutes. You don't need to come here to find him. He's going to be with you. If we're a Christian, he says, I take up residence in you through my spirit. And so we never lose God's presence. You're in the tough time of your life this coming Wednesday. God's there with you. A crisis hits you like a train wreck. God's there with you. You're in a dark valley and you don't know how to get out. God's there with you. You see the most beautiful thing in the world in the fall leaves. You can stop right then and say, God, you are awesome. I can't believe how creative you are. He blesses you in some other way. You can stop right there and say, God, thanks. Way to go. High five. He's with us. And that's relationship. And that's what he's been seeking since the top of Mount Sinai. And that's what he's still seeking. And the third thing is the best news of all three for us as Christians. Like Israel, we too need forgiveness if we're going to have relationship. And we got to celebrate that. I, I'm not going to read it, but there's a passage in there of, uh, of, from Hebrews that uses all the Old Testament tabernacle language and how Jesus died as our sacrifice for our sins so that his blood can wash us and we can be forgiven and still have that relationship with God. That's what we're offered because the God who was with Moses on the top of Mount Sinai is the God who is here in this room today. And as much as he wanted a relationship with Israel, he wants a relationship with you. And we have what it takes. His expectations, his presence, and forgiveness. Let's pray.
Father, it's easy to picture you as this great, awesome, creative God. All-powerful. Perfect and holy. But then when you come out of the crowd and say, and I want you as my son or my daughter. That's when we say, who, me? And yet you do. There's not a person in this room today that you don't want a relationship with. Help us see that. Help us take hold of your hand and come out of the crowd and be beside you as your son or daughter. Thank you for that invitation to relationship with you. In the name of your son who died so we could be your children. Amen. Please stand with us.